Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 333. I think uh, very simply, just focus on helping other people. You'll be rewarded. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. 2015 marks Covercraft's 50th anniversary. They've manufactured premium quality exterior and interior covers here in the United States with a reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit with over 80,000 patterns and growing. You can choose from dozens of fabric options and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicle. Made in the USA, Covercraft is the right choice. I've protected my special rides with their covers for over 40 years, and you should too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, John Kleinard. John, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Absolutely. We're in a five-point harness. All right. You know, I love it when my guests show up prepared. That's so cool. (laughs) John (laughs) Kleinard joined the Ford Motor Company way back in 1972. That's the same year he married his wife, Linda. And believe it or not, they attended a racing driver's school on their honeymoon. How cool is that? His 38-year career with Ford spanned positions in marketing, public affairs, motorsport, and product planning. After retiring in 2011, he immediately returned to consult for Ford in automotive public relations. He's competed in vintage and SCCA racing. He's been published, and he consults for museums as well. John's the recipient of the Lifetime Achievement Awards from the Motor Press Guild and Packard International, and he's received the Lee Iacocca Award. John, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Sure. I I was very fortunate to grow up in an automotive community, actually, in in North Carolina, which might sound unlikely, but um, I grew up in High Point, North Carolina, which is sort of the Detroit of the furniture industry, where uh, all the manufacturing during my early lifetime took place. As a result, it was a a very affluent community. Neighbors surrounding me, gosh, when I was a little kid growing up, one man had a collection of Jaguars, 120, 140, 150E-type, Wow. Another man had a 300SL Gullwing. Another neighbor was one of the people chosen by Chrysler to drive a, an experimental turbine car for several months. I heard this big vacuum cleaner going past my house every morning. Oh, really cool. my gosh. How lucky um, were you? Yeah. So I, just, I was just surrounded with cars. And an uncle of mine in a neighboring town was into classic cars. He had a couple of old Rolls Royces, a 34 Packard. Auburn Boatel Speedster, a Cord 810. So I, I couldn't help but, you know, fall under the influence. So oh, I just, yeah. I loved cars from the first time I knew they existed, and that's never changed. Well, that sounds like an amazing neighborhood. My goodness. I would love to have grown up in a neighborhood like that. We had one guy up the street who had a 
an old Porsche Speecher. It was a Carrera, which made it extra special, but that was about it. Oh, and there was the neighbor across the street who had an old English taxi that his mom used to drive him to school in, which was kind of cool. Oh, that's great. Nothing <laughs> like the neighborhood you were in. Well, as we continue on your journey and learn more about you, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. It's some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, and it's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, John, take the wheel. Well, a a car-related quote, and I don't know where I actually heard this, but it really resonated, and I've, I've reminded myself of it repeatedly, and that is very simply... The more your foot is on the gas, the less it's on the brake. And, uh, <laughs> I like that. Uh, you know, that, that's just a, a, a motivation to me that, hey, if there's a job to be done, get on with it. Just do it. And, yeah. and related to that is another thing that I, I heard years ago, which I thought was brilliant, and that is stress is not caused by what you're doing. It's caused by what you're not doing. Mm. So, you know, those two tie together. Just, just do it, and life will be good. And that's been a motivator for many, many years, and I, I encourage anyone to follow those those uh, rules of life, you might say. Those are some great quotes that I haven't heard before here on Cars. Yeah, I like both of them. They're really great. Yeah, the old Nike, just do it. Get on with it. Get over. Get it over with, or uh, as we say, eat that frog if you have a uh, something you need <laughs> to do early in the morning and just get it over with and move on with your day. But uh, those are great. I can see how they would definitely help you in a career like you've had at Ford Motor Company with all the different things and and probably stresses and things that you were uh, relied upon for. So I love that. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? You talk about growing up in that incredible neighborhood with all these people around you with cars, but is there a pivotal moment that you can remember when you really knew that you were a car guy? Well, the one person I didn't include in my introductory story is another neighbor. This is amazing, but true. This man owned, this is in the early, well, the late 60s, early 70s. He owned at one point 19 Ferraris. He had 14 at one time in a garage in his backyard. Oh, my and I used gosh. To ride my bike over to, yes. <laughs> I used to ride my bike over to his house and polish Barani white wheels, helping with the cars. How could I not help but fall in love with cars like that around me? And uh, I think uh, the first time I, before I knew this man, he lived, oh, half a mile away. And I was probably 12 years old. I heard this amazing exotic sound coming down the street. And it was this man in a Maserati 3500 GT. Mm. And I just fell in love at that moment. thought, okay, whatever that is, that's what I'm interested in. And later, when I got to know him and he started collecting Ferraris, um, that was it. Just no question about it. I absolutely fell in love with cars and knew that my career would have to be around cars. And I'll tell you, it's funny. Many years later, in 1972, when I moved to Michigan to join Ford, my mom gave me a box of things she'd saved in the attic, which mothers do. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. It was old report cards and Cub Scout records and all that. Well, in it was a paper I had written, a theme paper, a two-page paper in the sixth grade, where would you most like to visit? And my paper was about wanting to go to Dearborn, Michigan, to tour the Rouge plant and meet Henry Ford. Well, I had totally forgotten I ever wrote that paper. But it really started me that, wow, okay, I guess this was supposed to be. Here I am now going to Michigan to work for Ford Motor Company. So oh, my. It's just, you know, sort of been in my DNA, you might say. I couldn't help it. <laughs> I guess so. Now, let's 
let's chat for a minute about this guy with all these Ferraris. What were some of the Ferraris as you remember them that were in this guy's backyard? I mean, my goodness. Oh, boy. Well, it's a number of Ferraris that over the years I have seen at Pebble Beach. It's an amazing list. In fact, I think I have the, the list here handy. I'll pull it out. But it's um, the only ordinary Ferraris in the group were a Daytona Spider and a Dino. All the other cars were one-off or very limited production. Oh, my gosh. Um, a number of racing cars. Just an amazing assortment. Um, one-off cars made for the Princess of Belgium, for uh, Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands, um, 375 mm Spider uh, Roadster, 166, 212, and 195 Barquettes, uh, Tour de France, a 500 Superfast, the list just goes on and on. It's wow. just amazing. And this is these Norman Silver is the man's name. He owns Silvercraft Furniture Company, a manufacturing company. And he just developed an interest. This is in the middle of North Carolina in 1960. Where did he go to buy cars? New York. He bought them from Luigi Canetti and Bob Grossman. Mm-hmm. Had them trucked down on open transporters. You know, just that's the way it was back in those days. Right. And I got to be there seeing all these cars coming and going and meet the mechanics and just was immersed in that world just by the good fortune of growing up near the man. And uh, it was amazing. And the first Nart Spider, for example, this car that recently sold, I forget how many, many million dollars, the car that uh, Denise McCluggage drove at Sebring in 67, that wow. was one of his cars. And I got, over time, I got to drive these cars. They were one of them. So... Oh, I my was, goodness. You know, very fortunate. <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. I can't even, oh, just incredible. I I think I'd, been, I'd be sleeping in his backyard <laughs> to be around all those when I was a kid. Just bring my sleeping bag over and hang out there all the time. Very cool. It's nice of him to share that. One diversion, he also had briefly the first Lamborghini Mirror in the U.S. Oh. Um, it was a New York, New York Auto Show car. And I was on the cover of Car and Driver in, I guess, 67 it would have been. And uh, I got to drive that car quite a bit as well. And then he decided, no, nope, I really rather have Ferrari. So he traded it for, uh, I think, a 275 4Cam. So. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. Wow. What a treasure. Well, you're a very fortunate young man, that's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's crawl under the hood here. I'd love for you to go down some of the roads or take us down some of the roads that you've traveled and. Let's talk a little bit about a huge challenge or even a great failure that you've faced along the way in your career. And of course, the most important part of this question has to do with how did you overcome that situation and what did it teach you? What did you learn? Well, it goes back to, I think, keeping your foot on the gas. Um, Growing up, yes, I knew I wanted to be in the auto industry. I absolutely was focused on that. And I knew that it was important to get an MBA degree to get a good job with an auto company. And I went to a local, rather obscure college in North Carolina and did okay, nothing fantastic, because I was always working on cars. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, I really was focused on going to Columbia University to get a master's degree. And, of course, they turned me down, as did most every other school. <laughs> mm. But I just kept at it, applied and applied. I ended up going to Indiana University. And I then I was still so focused on going to Columbia I then applied to Columbia after Indiana for the School of International Affairs and was accepted. And that then gave me the springboard. Ford Motor Company interviewed on campus at Columbia. They had for many years. I was able to, to interview there, and they flew me to Michigan, and I got the job. So 
the 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 lesson which many people share is don't let disappointment um, get the upper hand. Just stay focused and go after your goal, and sooner or later you're going to get there. So that that you know I just got my foot on the gas and remained focused and it worked. You know, it's a great lesson for especially young entrepreneurs, students, anyone listening to this show that hasn't quite gotten to where they wanted to get yet is, yeah, don't give up. Just keep trying. Keep your head down. Keep opening different doors. Find a different door to knock on. And eventually you can reach your goal through a lot of hard work. And as you say, uh, keeping your pedal to the metal. So uh, great story. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a story. When you had one of those real aha moments in your career, I like to say it's a time when the headlights came on and illuminated your way for a new idea or a new direction. And tell me about the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success. Well, it, it sort of ties into what I did um, when I was finishing up at school. I knew I wanted to work in the auto industry. And having grown up surrounded by Ferraris and the, and the like, I knew that um, there was more to the automotive world than just Detroit. So I was able to tack a series of interview trips onto a school journey that um, a class that I took went to Europe. I said to my professor, may I uh, duck out for a few days? Yeah, go ahead. So I had prearranged and I interviewed with Ferrari and Alfa Romeo and Lotus. And it was an amazing experience. I interviewed with amazing people. At Ferrari, when I uh, arrived at the train station in Modena, I was met by Peter Shetty, one of their racing drivers, who drove me flat out in a Fiat 500 <laughs> to, <laughs> wow. to Marinello. Yeah. Like I say, I rode the Peter Shetty, we went maybe 50 miles per hour, but it was great. Anyway, yeah. my interview at Ferrari was with Michael Gozzi, who was Enzo's right-hand man. And this oh, was arranged yeah. by my good friend, Norman Silver. He opened doors, of course. So Gozzi and I were having this great conversation, you know, what do you think about this, that, and the other, and what would you like to do in your career, and how things are at Ferrari? And then he said, John, would you like to own a Ferrari? I said, sure, sure. He says, well, I'd suggest you don't work here because you'll never be able to afford one. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, that was that. Thank you very much. I then took a train to Milan and had an interview with Alfa Romeo, uh, Bruno Di Prato, who was an engineer. I walked into his office, and there was this giant American flag behind his desk on the wall and found out he had gone to the University of South Carolina and he was assigned to me in part because he was very fluent of course in English. Mm-hmm. And his first words were, well, John, let's go to lunch. You really don't want to work here because this place is kind of a mess. It's run by the government and no, you don't want this. <laughs> okay, okay, fine. I had a good lunch. So that was a quick interview. Yeah. <laughs> and I appreciate his candor. And then I went to Lotus and Norwich, England, sitting there in the big drafting room across the table from Tony Rudd. This is the man who was running Lotus's racing program. He had been with BRM before oh, that. Yeah. You know, quite quite a man. And uh, so I'm thinking, wow, this is great. I'm talking with Tony Rudd. So we're having a nice interview. And then he, said, he got into the discussion of racing. And at the time, I raced a Formula V. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned that. And he, and he said, oh, so you like to race? I said, oh, yeah, yeah. So do you want to continue racing? Oh, sure, sure. I said, well, I'm sorry. We don't allow our employees to race because if they did, we'd never get anything done. <laughs> So there were the three shortest job interviews you can imagine in all oh three gosh. cases. You know, they they were very honest and, and directed me, guess what, right back to Ford Motor Company. Yeah. So the rest was history. But it was a great experience, and that just uh, 
it was good to um, answer my questions that I had in my mind. I never looked back from the day I joined Ford, thinking, okay, I've found the right place. And what really attracted me to Ford was the fact that they went racing. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, just, that told me this place has enthusiasts in its ranks, and I'll be happy here, and that's proven to be the case. Wow, what an interesting story. Amazing. Yeah, well, again, another great lesson here, another golden nugget you've dropped for all of us is uh, if you have these aspirations, you know, go check them out. They may not be what your dreams envision them to be, but if you don't check them out, you'll never know, and you'll always be thinking, what if, what if. So, wow, amazing. Yeah, amazing interview process. That's pretty funny. How about proudest moments, proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many, you've received awards, you've done so many things, but is there one that stands out for you that you'd share with us today? You know, I have to say, really, it all sort of blurs together. There's no one particular moment. I think pride comes simply from, let's say I'm now 43 years with Ford Motor Company, and to be here and be the the guy that people call to ask questions, um, hey, John, you were there back in the day, what happened, this, that, and the other, and uh, being a resource for lots of journalists and people within the company is very satisfying. It's nothing that the world recognizes where I can say, here with me, I'm proud, but inwardly, I'm proud of that. Just the fact that I, I've been with Ford through ups and downs, which are you know very well known. We didn't take any money from the government. We're doing it the old-fashioned way. And now Good we're going for back you to guys. next year. Yes. And for me to have been a part of that, I'll tell you, the man who hired me into Ford was Alex Trotman, who became chairman of the company. Yeah. Actually, when I when I was finishing at Columbia, I was flown to Michigan and was asked to interview for a job on finance staff. And after a couple of hours talking to these finance guys, I just said to one, you know, if I wanted to work in this discipline, I'd, I'd be interviewing at a bank. I want something to do with cars. Mm-hmm. So the man picked up the phone and called this guy Trotman, who was two floors below in the marketing group, and said, somebody would like you to talk with. So we just spontaneously redirected my interview day, and I ended up being hired by Trotman and working directly for him my first couple of months in the company. At the time, he was director of marketing staff. He later, again, he became chairman. So, yeah. you know, that, certainly, uh, that was a great experience, and I suppose a source of pride, but uh, um, it's just you know, a great company, a great industry, and the auto industry is one big family, actually, no matter what company you're with. And mm-hmm. I don't know of any business that is more fun to be in than, than the car business. Just, I'm just lucky to be here. Well, you know, I always say luck is when uh, your hard work and opportunity collide, and it sounds like you were a guy that went around and checked a lot of things out first, and uh, that hard work collided with that opportunity, the chance to get to work with some of these great people. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And if you could share a memory with me that you had with that vehicle. Well, the first car I bought, ironically, the only new car I've ever bought was an Austin Hughes Sprite. And it was great. I enjoyed it greatly. I, I think I paid eighteen hundred dollars cash for it. And this is from you know saving for years, delivering newspapers, and mowing lawns, and all the rest. Uh-huh. But in nineteen sixty-five, I happened upon a um, an Alfa Romeo Giulia Spider on the used car lot of a Ford dealership in Clay Park, North Carolina. So we worked a trade. I traded the Sprite, got the Alfa, and uh, when they handed me the the key. 
it had a tag, an inventory tag on it that said, Alfio Romo, A-L-F-I-A-R-O-M-O. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you know, High Point, North Carolina. They've probably never seen an Alfa Romeo. We don't know what Alfa. that is. <laughs> That's right. So I promptly drove the car over to Norman Silver's house, the man with all the fries. Look at this. I joined the Italian car fraternity, and then I showed him the keys. Ah, Alfio Romo with a body by Finn Purina. <laughs> so, so that's how we knew the car from that day on. The Alfio Romo was body by Finn. Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty, yeah, the dog <laughs> manufacturing company, Alpha Perina. Right, right. As opposed, of course, to Pinin Farina, but in of any course, case. Of course, yeah. Um, wow. But that car, I still have just a warm glow when I think of how exotic that car was in comparison to the Sprite or anything else around that sure. is at all affordable. And actually, I'm restoring today an identical car that we found not too long ago. I was driving the Alfa Romeo when I first met my wife in school in, in Indiana, and uh, we're going to relive our youth with uh, an identical car as soon as I finish the restoration. Oh, how fun. Fantastic. I love it. Fantastico, as they would say in yeah. Italy. <laughs> Very cool. Well, is there a vehicle that you've owned and sold that you really wish you could have back in the garage? Oh, yes. I'm sure everybody would answer that question in the affirmative, but uh, I have over the years owned a number of of sports cars, including Ferraris, and there was one car that I kicked myself for selling. It was a Ferrari 330 GTS, mm. and I bought it in, oh, let me think, 1985, I want to say, and my wife and I soon afterwards uh, decided to move to a larger house, so I sold the car in order to buy this house. Mm -hmm. Boy, it was out of mistake. I should have taken a larger mortgage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we... Yeah. You said we all have those stories, that's for sure, but a Ferrari, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the 330 GTS, I think it's just such a beautiful, great car, and oh, well, I owned it for about two months. I at least can say I owned it. Yeah. Um, we've, we've since developed a motto in our household, which is, you can live in a car, you can't drive a house. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Very cool. So I well, remind myself of that. You know? Yeah. The car... The car is more important. <laughs> well, and boy, I tell you right now, this kind of uh, incline in car values and after, you know, both of us just returning from Pebble Beach and Monterey and all the auctions and looking what some people are paying for some cars, especially old Ferraris. Oh, my gosh. It's just, uh, it's uh, unobtainium for me, but it's fun to, <laughs> fun, it to fun to watch people uh, throw that kind of money around. But uh, it is quite incredible. Is there a project that you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Well, actually, yes, it's the restoration of that 65 Alfa Romeo Spider that cool. I'm doing. Uh, the one that I had back in the day was a Normale, the single carburetor mm -hmm. um, version. The one that we're fortunate to find in our restoring is a Veloce, which is the more powerful engine. And cool. Really a neat car, just a, you know, a baby Ferrari. And uh, all the uh, cosmetic work is done. I'm now installing the instruments and uh, be putting the engine back in soon. So I hope to have it on the road by the end of this year, which will be a lot of fun. Well, I hope so. Well, what's been one of the biggest challenges with restoring that particular car? Um, well, finding the time to do it. <laughs> yeah, in your it's retirement. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's a very straightforward uh, car. and uh, Pretty you know, simple. You don't have your rocket scientist to restore it. It's just, I've done several alphas over the years, and they're very uh, friendly cars to work on. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll tell you one thing that, that has taken a lot of time away from that project is Cars and Coffee. I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with Cars and Coffee, which is 
not only worldwide phenomenon, but uh, it was begun here at this Ford Motor Company building. Freeman Thomas, who is our design director, came up with the idea, and uh, he called me and said, John, we should do this. Why don't you do it? And I, of course, said, okay. So we started, um, let's see, in October 2006, Cars and Coffee here at the Ford building, and we ran the thing for eight years. In fact, it was 410 consecutive Saturdays, and we figure over that time period, we had 185,000 cars exhibited and probably 450,000 visitors. Just amazing. Wow. And then we just flat ran out of space, and yeah. that was the end of that. But there are several other cars and coffees that have sprung up around, well, around the world, in fact. And uh, we never have had any commercial intent with this. It was just our, our thing in this parking lot, and we're delighted that other people have taken the idea to run with it. So oh, yeah. if there's anything, I guess, it, back to the question of something I'm proud of, it wasn't my idea. Freeman Thomas is the one who should be proud, but I, I'm certainly satisfied, uh, gratified that we've done something for the car hobby and you know, in, in launching that movement that is doing very well all around the country and other parts of the world. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Yes, they're wonderful. I, I've been to many, many, even ran one myself for many years, the company I was with before, and I had the uh, distinct pleasure of attending a Cars and Coffee in uh, Henderson, Nevada, with the great Peter Brock. I got to drive to the event in a Daytona with Peter. Oh my gosh, that was a dream come true. And you mentioned Freeman Thomas. He's agreed to be a guest here on Cars. Yeah, just tracking him down and getting 30 minutes of his time has been the challenge, but uh, his assistant has been great help. And eventually uh, he'll be a guest here as well, just like you, John. That's great. Yeah, here's a very introspective question for you. If you were a car, what kind of car would John be and why? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well, probably not a Lamborghini Countach. Um, <laughs> I, I, this is just off the top of my head. I'm going to say a, a Porsche 911. Ah, um, the okay. reason is, um, you know, capable but not flashy. You know, just a car that gets the job done. Yeah. And, uh, well, you and I share yeah. something, John, because uh, on my 300th show, your show is 333, but my 300th show, my son Blake interviewed me, and guess how I answered that question? Same as you, oh, Porsche 911. How about that? Yeah, <laughs> very cool. So John, up next yeah. is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars yeah sponsor. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. All right, John, we're back and we're entering the last lap. You're a racer. You know what this means. The white flag is out. Time to keep that pedal to the floor. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some real quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Sure. 
What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Well, this again was from um, Norman Silver in North Carolina. We returned from a car buying trip one day. Uh, I went on a number of them with him, and uh, he did not buy a Ferrari 250 GTO that we looked at. It was in Maryland. We returned to North Carolina, and I said, Norman, you didn't buy the car. I said, yeah, I just needed to get too much work. And as I was getting out of the car, he said, John, there'll always be another car. And that has stuck with me. There will always be another car. If you think, hey, I've got to buy this car, this car, this car, well, not necessarily. Stand back, take a look at it. Now, of course, you should have bought a 250 GTO, but anyway. <laughs> well, I was going to say. Uh, but... <laughs> but still, the, the philosophy, I think, is very wise. There will yes. always be another car. Yes. It makes you, you know, use both sides of your brain when you're, when you're shopping. <laughs> you know, it's always good to bring a friend along and tell him these words, talk me out of the car. <laughs> right. <laughs> because the the mist will come over your eyes and you won't see things that he will see because you're just falling in love with this thing despite the fact that the floors are all rusted out or uh, right. some of the parts yeah, aren't right. I can right. fix that. I can fix it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sure, then you bury yourself, right? <laughs> you bet. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? Focus on helping other people achieve their goals, mm. very simply. Uh, that that ensures that you'll be needed and um, welcomed and so forth. And that really, I think, is what led me into the, the PR world. I didn't know how to spell PR when I finished school. I, had, <laughs> I knew nothing about it. I was in finance and marketing and so forth. But uh, over, over time, I, I have developed a career, as any PR person would, by being the guy in the background helping other people get into the spotlight. And... I think that, that applies in any endeavor anyone pursues. If you focus on helping other people achieve their goals, you're going to be okay. Great advice. Would you share a resource with our listeners that you think they would really enjoy? Petrolicious. Petrolicious.com. Ah. You know, <laughs> it's just fantastic. If you're having a bad day, just, just go online, look up Petrolicious.com, yep. pick any episode and just smile. It's fantastic. You know, Efsheen, who started that company, Petrolicious, has been a guest here on Cars Yeah. I was lucky enough to have lunch with him while I was at the Concorso Italiano last weekend. Uh, wow. Great guy, wonderful site. I really admire what uh, he and his team have done there. Uh, just fantastic, fantastic work. Is there a book that you think our listeners would really enjoy reading? I want to say yes, two books, uh, fairly recently published by, by A.J. Bain, B-A-I-M-E. Oh, uh, uh, yes, yes. Uh, one of them is Go Like Hell, which is the story of Ford and Ferrari competing at Le Mans. Great book. Uh, and the other one is The Arsenal of Democracy, which is an amazing mm. story of basically of how Edsel Ford um, Helped us win World War II yeah. uh, by by persuading his his father Henry to build Willow Run to build the Liberator bombers and so forth and how they just said okay we're going to do it not knowing how they were going to do it and the story of how miracle after miracle after miracle was 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 achieved to build a city and build this plant and meet their random production targets people thought were not not possible it's an amazing story in both cases these two books A J Bain really did his homework and got the inside story and tells just page after page of facts that you didn't know before. It's I really recommend both of those books. Great books. I have both those books. They are fantastic, incredible, insightful stories about 
Ford Motor Company and the people and the teams and, and the things they accomplished both on the racetrack and, of course, helping our country during World War II. I'll remind our listeners you can find links to these books at Guest Recommended Books on the Cars Yeah website or just go to carsyeah.com slash John Kleinard. His last name is spelled C-L-I-N-A-R-D and you'll find his show notes page with links to these great books and these great resources. All right, John, we're up to the checkered flag and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage... But don't worry about the price, because today I'm going to write that check. What would that one vehicle be, and why? Well, this might be a predictable answer coming from me, but I'll, I'll explain why it's beyond the predictable mindset. Ferrari 250 GTO. Mm. And that's not because it's the most expensive car ever sold at auction, not at all. When I was living in Michigan in the 70s, Two of my friends owned 250 GTOs, and I drove both cars a lot. In fact, I have a cassette tape I recorded driving one of them in the snow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And yeah, I uh, mean, they were cars. This One of them, I think the guy paid $20,000 for, the other one was something like $17,000. <laughs> a lot of money, but that's what they were. Back then, yeah. And, and I drove them quite a bit, and the the visceral excitement of driving... A Rips Norton race car on the street is just in, incomparable. Yeah, and the gear whine, the dry sump pump, everything about it just it just assaults and delights every sense you have. Hearings, you know, sound, vibration, smell, sights, everything about it. The car is just amazing. And um, if I were fortunate enough to own one. I'd never sell it, that's for sure. wouldn't matter what it's worth. It's just a, an incomparable driving experience. So, yeah, that's the easy answer, and I say that from first-hand experience. Well, lucky guy you are, for sure. Wow, incredible. Wonderful story. John, you have taken me on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed talking with you and learning more about your life and your career in the automotive field. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Out listeners and with me could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that 250 GTO? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if I'm doing that, it would be try to catch me. No. Yeah, there um, you go. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, very simply, just focus on helping other people. You'll be rewarded. It's great advice. Yep, absolutely. Is there a good way for our listeners to learn more about you and what you're doing these days? Oh, gosh. There's an article that I... Uh, wrote in uh, Road and Track magazine, if anyone has a collection or wants to go on eBay, let's see, August 93, Road and Track. It was called Confessions of an Exotic Car Enthusiast, and it tells pretty much the story about um, going up surrounded all these great cars in, in North Carolina and driving the Lamborghini Mura and so forth. Cool. So uh, that could be, you know, fun. And uh, gosh, other than that, really, I'm I'm the guy behind the scenes. Um, <laughs> there you, you know, go. Yeah. You can Google me, but there are lots of other John Kleinerts who are more famous than I am. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can just listen to this show again and learn more about John and uh, find links to everything that John shared with us today again at carsyad.com. Just type John in the search bar and his show notes page will pop right up. John, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your amazing experiences and journeys in the car hobby. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. 
Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!